Welcome to the Renaissance Christian Church Podcast. We're a church family with the mission of seeking God, serving others, and sharing the gospel. We're grateful that you have joined us as we study through the Bible, and we hope that it brings you encouragement and inspiration for your daily life. Here's Pastor John Bandman. I'm going to read a verse. It's from 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 9. And it said, Paul says, Paul quotes, he says, But as it is written, what no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love him. Do you love him this morning? Do you know that you serve an infinite God and that you have no idea the amount of joy, the amount of blessing, what God has in store for those who love him. Uh, so this morning, we're going to look at that two people, two women, who are just absolutely bursting with the joy of Christmas. And it's my prayer this morning that, um, that we can be just bursting with the joy of Christmas as well during this holiday season. Um, We are going to be in Luke chapter 1, starting in verse 39. The two women that we're looking at are Mary and her cousin Elizabeth. And we're going to look at this kind of from three three components. The first component is when you know, the first component is how pregnant they are with the joy of Christmas. And are we pregnant with the joy of Christmas this morning? The other component is they're just straight up bursting with joy. I mean, they are having a party, all right? They are just bursting with joy. And the third component is the estate of Christmas joy. The state of mind, the attitude, the condition of your heart, and how we can set our sails to really maximize whatever breeze of joy the Lord sends to us. Some of you know I really love sailing, which is why I love using that kind of metaphor. Uh, And, you know, the whole art of sailing is all about, you know, setting a course, deciding where you want to go, and then orientating the sails, trimming the sails just right, so with whatever wind there is, you know, you maximize it. You're maximizing the forces of nature, which I, I love that about sailing. You're maximizing the wind and the water and the dynamic forces of of water on the keel and wind on your, on your foil, your sail, and, and just maximizing that. And sometimes, you know, you get a gentle breeze of wind, and that's such a blessing. You can just relax. The water's quiet. People's voices go down low, and it's just a, it's just a cool late afternoon sail with a gentle breeze. And there's so much joy in that. And sometimes you're just in a torrent. Sometimes you're just raging in this monster storm of joy, and you're just ripping it, right? And wherever that goes in this holiday season, the ebb and flow of it, where, what is the condition of our heart? How have we set our sails? Where are, we looking, where are we looking in our joy? So those are kind of the three components that we're going to look at this morning. So let's go. Luke chapter 1, verse 39. Uh, and the first sign of Mary being literally pregnant with the joy of Christmas, is verse 39, in those days Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country to a town in Judah, and she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. 
All right, so the first sign that you are pregnant with the joy of Christmas is you want to go tell somebody about it, right? When was the last time something really cool and exciting happened to you? What was the first thing you did? Called somebody up, posted it up on Facebook, you know, here's a picture, isn't it cute, awesome? It's like when there's joy happening in our life, when there's blessing and joy, first thing we want to do is share about it, right? Right? And so, you know, is there, is, are, are you sharing any joy this Christmas? Are you pregnant with joy? Are you excited about When was the last time you called somebody up to say, well, you're not going to believe this. This is amazing, right? Maybe God has something for us this morning. I pray, it's really my prayer. I mean, we, I know we've all been through it, y'all, right? It's been a tough time. My prayer this morning is that we'll be reminded, that we'll open our hearts, we'll open the eyes of our heart to to. To, to the very real reality that God has joy for us. God has blessing for us. So be ready to post something. I'll be looking for it, all right? Be looking out for that. <clears throat> the other sign that you're pregnant with joy continuing, when she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth, and when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. All right, the other sign that you're just pregnant with the joy of the Lord is usually and almost always the Holy Spirit is involved. You know, we're not talking about sort of airy, fairy, temporary feeling of happiness, but we're talking about from the gut, deep down, full based in truth, based in reality, joy. And that's where the Holy Spirit lives. And when that happens, when God blesses you in that way, very much the Holy Spirit is involved in that. Right? Have you ever had some really cool experience, some blessing, some joy, and you just felt the power of God on you? You just felt like, man, this is a God thing. This could only be a God thing. Doesn't it create a deeper sense, a more permanent sense of, wow, This is more than just this one circumstance, but this is about my relationship with the Lord and about what God's doing in my life and the plans that he has for me that I can't even imagine, right? And the Holy Spirit is involved in that when we're pregnant with the joy of Christmas. The other thing is people get excited. They get excited and they get loud. Verse 42. Starting in 41, and when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit, and she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. Right? People get excited. We get loud. I'm excited, I'm very loud, right? Because it's exciting stuff that God has for us. So when you see people getting loud, probably some joy happening there, right? The other thing that happens is revelation, and I love this, verse 43. And why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? So keep in mind, Elizabeth is promised in her older age, and she's been barren her entire life. She's promised that she's going to become pregnant, and she's going to give birth to a boy, and this boy is going to grow up to be the man, as Robert mentioned last Sunday, he's the greatest man born of woman, according to Jesus. Jesus says, 
Who did you, who'd you go out to see? Who did you expect to see? Do you expect to see some, some wimp, wimp guy out there? No. You went out to see John the Baptist, the greatest man born of women. Right? That is a huge blessing for Elizabeth. And, and then simultaneously or just shortly after, Angel shows up with Mary and says, look, you're also, the, you, you're a young betrothed teenager. You're not even married yet. You're just this young teenager, right? This young gal. To be a young teenager woman in the first century means you're not very significant in the culture, right? And yet an angel shows up to her and says, you know what? You're going to conceive. God is going to conceive a child in you. It's going to be born of the Holy Spirit, and he's going to be great, um, so where am I going with all that? So Elizabeth, there's no mention that Elizabeth has been told. There's been no announcement. Mary hasn't sent, you know, posted up on Facebook that, hey, by the way, I saw an angel today, and guess what? I've conceived the baby Jesus. So Elizabeth doesn't know what's happening. Mary shows up, and boom, the Holy Spirit shows up with Elizabeth, and she immediately perceives as, Mary's, as she hears Mary's voice, John the Baptist, who is still only a six-month-old infant in her womb, leaps for joy. Because what was the promise the angel made to Elizabeth? That John the Baptist would be filled with the Holy Spirit from birth, right? So John the Baptist, as a six-month-old baby in the womb, six months in the womb, filled with the Holy Spirit, leaps for joy at the sound of Mary's voice, and, and then Elizabeth has this profound uh, Holy Spirit uh, knowledge. And she says, blessed are you among women and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? Elizabeth recognizes that the baby Mary is carrying is not just a normal, ordinary human being that this baby is actually her Lord. Even before it's born, Elizabeth recognizes that this is, is the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords. That's Holy Spirit revelation. And one of the attributes, one of the things about being pregnant with the joy of Christmas is the Holy Spirit brings us revelation. It's a joy that helps us understand God more completely. It's a joy that comes with it, this whole raft of truth about the nature of who God is and the nature of who we are and the plans that he has for us in our life, right? That's a joy that has much deeper meaning than just a temporary momentary sense of happiness, is it not? So that's another sign of being pregnant with joy is that revelation. Mary and Elizabeth, they are just bursting with the joy of Christmas. And that's the other piece of this that I want to talk about. And as I mentioned, Elizabeth is advanced in years, right? She's already passed. She's missed the opportunity to be a mom. She's missed the opportunity to really have the greatest blessing of the Jewish culture in the first century for a woman is to produce children, right? To produce a legacy, to produce an inheritance. And, you know, there's all kinds of practical as well as cultural aspects of that, and she has missed it all, as Robert was sharing last Sunday. She's missed that. It's all over for her. And yet God intervenes and says, guess what? In your old age, you're going to bear 
a son, and it's not going to just be any son. It's going to be one of the great. It's going to be the greatest man, apart from Jesus, that has ever been born of woman. That's pretty profound, right? Especially if you're a woman who um, has been barren her whole life in that culture. So it's hugely significant. Bursting with the joy of Christmas, a big aspect of that is the significance of it. What has gone, what, what are we bursting with this morning? What has God promised us? What, how has God blessed you this morning? What is the significance of what he's called us to? I want to read uh, a passage, Paul, Ephesians 1, 3 says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons, sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will. Before God made the world, before he put all the stars in the heaven, before he wove the fabric of space and time, he chose each one of you who have put your faith and hope in him. He chose you. He predestined you. But don't freak out about that word predestined. It just means he predestined it. Right? And I know we all get like, oh man, how can he predest how can I have a choice if he's predestined it? Right? There's Paul actually asks that question rhetorically, and Paul's answer is, Who are you, oh man, to question God? Right? But think about the significance of that. Think about how significant it is that God knew you. He thought you up. He imagined you and planned you and planned that you would be adopted into his family before the foundations of the world. You know, I, I pray that one of the things that we'll do this morning is expand and open up our perception of who God is. That we won't limit God to our own preconceived idea or our own box of how we think things should work. I, uh, you know, even you think about this world, the, the physics of this world, even what we do understand in terms of the, how God has designed this world is very mysterious, is it not? Y'all have heard the theory of relativity? Anybody want to explain the theory of relativity? No? Okay. Well, Bottom line is we all experience time as constant, right? My hour is the same as your hour, regardless of wherever we are in the world. It's the same, but actually not. So Einstein came along and said, no, 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 time is relative. Time changes. Time compresses and time expands. And it compresses and expands depending on two things, our relative acceleration relative to each other and how deep we are into a gravity well, okay? These two things will change time. Therefore, and this is where it really becomes, this, is, this sounds very theoretical, but has huge practical ramifications. If you all take out your phone, or even just think about your phone, I can, this phone will tell me exactly where I am any, anywhere in the world. It will only, it'll tell me the longitude, the latitude, and the elevation within 15 meters, okay? How does it do that? It does that by communicating with a bunch of satellites that are really in high orbit, traveling at 14,000 kilometers an hour, 
all right? But the problem is it depends on really accurate time. So each one of these satellites have an atomic clock in them, right? So each satellite has very accurate time. And so it's sending messages to my phone, and based on the time and the position of the satellite, it can tell me exactly where I am. But there's a problem. Time is relative. And those satellites are, have an acceleration of 14,000 kilometers per, per hour, which means the clock on the satellite is running faster than my hour here on Earth. Also, we're in the deeper in the gravity well of Earth, right? which means the clock runs actually, my clock runs a little bit slower, but the net outcome is the clock is running too fast on these satellites. So they have to program the software in your phone to compensate for relative time. If they didn't do that, within two minutes, your phone would be off by 10 kilometers in terms of its location. I do that whole story partly because I'm a geek and I kind of geek out on that stuff, to be honest with you. But I also do that story to say, you know what? Even God's creation is mysterious. It has strange things that don't, aren't, they're not intuitive. They're not immediately apparent, apparent to us. We serve an awesome, mysterious, powerful God who has created the universe. Do you not think he's capable of blessing us with joy this Christmas? Are you limiting him according to what's intuitively apparent to you? According to what your own experiences and expectations are? Is that how you're thinking about God? Or can God really bless you in such an unexpected way? Some of us might be longer in years and we might feel like, you know what? I've lived my life, you know? I'm over, I'm, pa I'm, I'm past it, right? But you know what? God is not done with us. God has so much. No eye has seen, no ear has heard what God has for us. Elizabeth and Mary, they are bursting with the significance of the promise that God has given them. Going back to Luke, look at verse 45. And blessed is she who believed that the, there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. Mary is bursting with joy. Why? Because she believed in a mighty, powerful God. She believed the angel. She believed the promise the angel gave her that she was going to conceive prior to marriage, prior to relationship with her husband. She would conceive the very son of God, and she believed it. What's kind of funny about this passage, this verse right here to me, remember, where's Mary at? She went to visit Elizabeth, right? It says in verse 39 or 40 that they entered the house of Zechariah. Well, Zechariah, as Robert preached last Sunday, was told by the angel, hey, you, in, your old age, in her old age, your wife is going to conceive and she's going to bear this, this great child. And guess what? Zachariah didn't believe, did he? And what happened? He was mute. He couldn't speak. God said, you know what? The angel said, because you didn't believe, you're going to be mute until all of this is accomplished. So now, fast forward, Mary shows up, and, and it's praise the Lord, hallelujah, Elizabeth and Mary, they're all excited, yada, yada. And then Elizabeth says, and blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. 
and I see Elizabeth looking over at her husband, right? And he's over there in the corner with this little tablet. Yeah, 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 I know, I know, I know. I didn't believe, okay, all right, I got my tablet, I'm writing, right? But, you know, belief is a critical aspect of joy. Donna teases me about, you know, I, I have an inner Eeyore, and, and it's really easy for the inner Eeyore to come up out at any given time, right? And, it's at some, and at some point, you know, it's like, I got to turn that voice off, and I just have to be open to God's joy, and say, you know what, Lord, I'm just going to accept your joy and not try to critique it, not try to conditionalize it, not try to, you know, find the fault so that, I, so that I'm not ultimately disappointed. You know, at some point we've got to put that aside and just take in the joy that God has for us. You know, and what better time of the year than Christmas to, to do that. I, I appreciate uh, Mindy because she's a, a fellow. She has an inner Eeyore too. And we're both married to, to Tiggers. Just, they bounce around in joy and happiness all the time. And Minnie and I are like, well, you know, I don't know, man. Sorry, Mindy, I don't mean to presume. <laughs> but I'm with you, right? I'm with you. Um, so they are bursting with significance and, and the significance of what's in that passage that that Mary is going to give birth to the very Son of God. I wonder, what does God have in store for you? It's not over yet. I think it's time to put all those regrets, all those disappointments, all those things that you could have done differently, and put them away. You know, it's done. It's gone. And be open to the incredible mission that God has for us. Jesus said, look, I'm leaving, but I'm not going to leave you as orphans. When I leave, I'll send the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is going to empower you. He's going to comfort you. He's going to guide you into all truth. And because you have the Holy Spirit, you're going to turn this world upside down. God is not done with you yet because you are still here. <laughs> right? You are still here and you're still, he still has a purpose and a mission for you that is significant. Huge significant mission. Verse 45, they are bursting with belief in God's promises. And I I just spoke to that. You know, marriage, just belief is critical. 46, 47, bursting with praise and rejoicing. I love the way Mary expresses this. This is called the Magnificat, which means, uh, that's the, comes from the Latin, which means magnify. So this is Mary magnifying the Lord. She says, and Mary said, my soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. Have you had a joy where you're just going, praise God. Thank you, Jesus, that you have done that. Praise the Lord. I, you know, it's, it's one thing that when things go well, it's another thing when you know that it's God's hand in it. You know, that God has redeemed the situation. Praise the Lord. My soul magnifies the Lord. That's the wholehearted, all of you, Lord Jesus, thank you so much. That is this bursting with the joy of Christmas. Forty-eight. For he who is mighty has done great things for me. I'm, I'm sorry. 
48. For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. And we're going to talk about the estate of joy in a moment. But look at that next line. It says, for behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. Christmas joy, the joy of God, is not just for the moment. Not just for you. But it's a blessing for all those around you. And it's a blessing for that, all those who come behind you. Think about the legacy of your life, whether you have children or not. The legacy of children you may have, the impact that you've had on them in their life. One of the shows Don and I really enjoy, some, some of you may watch it, is This Is Us. And one of the things I like about that show so much is it connects the dots between the generations. You know, the impact that the, the patriarch of the family has on successive generations and and it's, it's rare that we get to see that, but it's a very much a reality. Think about how a grandfather, or an aunt, or an uncle has impacted your life, right? We don't know the impact that we're going to have on our children and on their children and on our great-grandchildren. We don't know the impact that we're going to have on our friends and the impact that they make on their children and their legacy, right? Whether we are... We have children or not. We don't know the impact that we have. And Mary says, look, for behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. And here we are today calling her blessed. We don't worship her, right? We don't pray to her. She is not our God. She's a human being, this young teenager who God blessed in such a way that here we are 2,000 years still talking about her. There's a... We don't know a lot about one of Donna's granddads. Um, not even really sure kind of where he was spiritually. Um, and when uh, Donna's dad passed away uh, a bit ago, going through some of his, musta- his things, and Donna's sister found this tiny little Bible that um, belonged to her granddad. I get teared up thinking about it. And in the Bible, it says the date that he received the Lord. And Donna didn't know if he had even been a Christian. And it was like this little window, this little reach from the past that said, hey, no, her grandfather's a believer. That she'll know him, that we'll see him, we'll know all about him in eternity. You know? And we don't know, we don't know two generations, three generations from now, the impact the calling that God has had on your life. 49, bursting with all the great things God has done for you. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. Has God done some great things for us? I would say if you've put your hope and your faith in him, he has done amazing things for you. He has he is made you, as Robert preached last Sunday, he's made you a new creation in him. You are a new creation in Christ. He's promised you eternity. As I just read in Ephesians, he has adopted you as his own child. You belong to him. You are in his household. You don't have to prove anything. You don't have to prove yourself. You don't have to clean yourself up. You are in once you have bent your knee to him, once you have received him as your savior, 
You belong in his household. He's done great things for us. Has he not given us family and friends? Has he not given us counselors and teachers to, to guide us, to guide us into the joy of Christmas all throughout our lives? I think of so many times my life could go, have gone such a different way and God just intervened. He just sent the right person at the right time to intervene in my life. Those are tremendous gifts. So what about the estate of Christmas? What is the state of mind? What is the condition of our heart um, that we as a, as a good sailor can capture, can maximize the joy and blessing of Christmas? Mary says it beginning in verse 48, going back to 48, for he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. Mary is humble. She is humble in her estate. She's just a young teenage gal from, from Nazareth, of all places. Remember the Philip, I think it's Philip, who said, can anything good come from Nazareth? Right? Nazareth is over there beyond the Samaritan area. You know, a bunch of hillbillies out there. And Mary's just this young teenager, and, and, and Mary's saying, look, God has looked on my humble estate of his servant. So the first estate of Christmas joy is humility, humbleness. And it's, it's, not, it's not a direct inverse relationship to the size of your bank account, right? God's not saying, well, if you have a lot of money, that means there's no hope for joy in your life, right? He's not saying that. He's saying it's a matter of the heart. It's the matter of your attitude. It's the matter of kind of your presumptions of your life that you, you know what? You have whatever you have by the grace and mercy of God. Your very breath, your ability to put two thoughts together is from the grace and mercy of God. And that's, that's the humble estate that Mary comes from. Now, I would, I would say, and James will, would say in Scripture, that if you have a big fat bank account compared to other people, and by the way, this gets into a very relative kind of thing. We as Americans are the wealthiest people in history. Okay? If you live in America, you can be one of the poorest people in America, and you are much wealthier than most of the people for most of history. All right? Does that mean we're all disqualified from the joy of Christmas? No. It's an issue of the heart and the attitude. But as you acquire wealth, there is a temptation to think that somehow that's what's going to give you joy, and somehow that you created it, and somehow that you have to protect it, and pretty soon you're spiraling down into an attitude of pride and, and you've lost that humbleness that says, look, I came into this world with nothing, I leave this world with nothing. Blessed be the Lord, my God. So a humble attitude. The other estate of joy, verse 50. And his mercy is for those who fear him. From um, Yeah, his mercy is for those who fear him. Fear him. You know, that's, that's a tricky word. We've talked about this a lot. I think even Robert mentioned it. It's not the fear that you're going to be abused. It's the reverent fear of a, the fear that we have of a healthy father, a father who knows how to give us tough love and encouragement at the same time. You know, none of our fathers are perfect, right? Some of our fathers went beyond tough, tough love into abuse, and it became 
something about tearing us down and breaking us down rather than love that is for our good and for our blessing, right? Some of us have fathers who just weren't there, negligent, just absent, right? And when we've had those kinds of experiences, it's easy to kind of project that on God and think, well, fear God. Yeah, I fear him because, you know, I get whooped and beat up and torn down. But that's not the father, that's not the God that we serve. We serve a God who is who's slow to anger, rich in mercy, right? I was listening to, it's funny, I was listening to a comedian, kind of a millennial guy, who's a new parent, uh, him and his wife, you know, they have their baby, they've had their baby for two or three months, and he's talking about how him and his wife, their first baby, millennials, they have literally documented every second of this baby's life so far in its, in its young three, three months of living, right? And he goes, yeah, we, I basically take a picture of him, you know, every few minutes, and we post it up on Facebook, and his life is completely documented. And then he said, you know, my dad, the relationship I had with my dad, I don't think he ever even looked at me, much less took a picture of me. Right? And, it's, and some of us have had that kind of experience. But God uh, looks upon us. I love um, when Mary earlier, she said in that humble, verse 48, he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. God looks at you. He's aware of you. And it's not, he's not just checking out like, okay, there's, there's my servant. I see him. But he's looking in anticipation of blessing you. He's looking at where he wanna, wants to bring you in his life, right? He's not, he's not a father who is removed and, and absent and indifferent. He's very much engaged with us. Contrarily, verse 51, and this, this kind of, Mary goes back and forth in these contrasts. She, she says, he has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud and the thoughts of their hearts. So God scatters the proud. If you're, pr- if you're filled with your own I am awesomeness, what happens is God scatters your heart. Your heart becomes split and divided and you're chasing after all these different things in all these different directions and you become just debased, scattered, dissipated. There's no fullness. There's no joy when we're prideful. Even the mighty... He has brought down, verse 52, from their throne. But he's exalted those of humble estate. Again, humble estate, in case you missed it the first time. The attitude to maximize our joy in the Lord is to stay in that place of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he has sent away empty. Are you hungry for joy this morning? Or are you kind of pushing it away? Are you like, I don't want to be disappointed. You know, let's look out and make sure that I'm not caught by surprise and be disappointed. You know what? Put it away. Put it aside. Be hungry. Anticipate. Be in expectation of God's blessing and his filling. You know what? This is very, very much sounds like the Beatitudes, Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. He said, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Why? Because they will be filled. Right? But blessed are the poor in spirit, right? for they'll see God. 
Be hungry this Christmas for joy, for his blessing. To finish off verse 54, he has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy. He, as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. God's joy always comes in the context of his promises. What has God promised us? What has God promised us for those who have received him? To be adopted as children into his family. To be blessed for all of eternity. Right? And all the ramifications of that. Paul talks about whatever we do by faith becomes precious stones, gold, precious metals. That we enjoy the blessing of that forever and ever. Right? Try to imagine what that might be. I'm going to close with a, a quote from C.S. Lewis. And this comes from uh, his, his uh, address, The Weight of Glory, and, and other addresses. And, and C.S. Lewis is talking about exactly this. He's talking about our attitude. And he's talking about how Christianity has kind of gotten off track from the primary goal of Christianity is, to, is the joy of love. The joy of the abundance that God has for us, right? And, we've kind of, and, and, and the moderns have kind of turned that to, well, no, Christianity is all about self-denial and self-abasement and denying yourself. And, and C.S. Lewis makes the point and says, no, 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 no. To take up the cross and follow after Jesus, that's not about, the, the ultimate goal there is not self-denial, but self-denial is a means to a greater end, and the greater end is abundant joy. We take up the cross and follow Jesus because that's where the joy is. That's where the abundance is. So let me read this quote from him. He finishes this thought, and he says, Indeed, if we consider the unblushing promises of reward and the staggering nature of the rewards promised in the Gospels, it would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us. Infinite joy is offered us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. We are far too easily pleased. Is that not true? Do we not go into Christmas? Isn't there a part of us that goes, you know what? You know, I'm good. I'll get my eggnog. You know, hopefully I've hinted strong enough to my wife that she knows exactly what I want to give me really a brief moment of happiness, and then, which will have a half-life of about three hours on Christmas Day. Are we, are we open to something deeper, richer, more permanent? The bursting joy of Christmas. The desire of, of God that he has for us. The fact that he has chosen us from before the foundation of the world and has incredible purpose with, for us. We are pregnant with purpose. God has created us for so much more. And even for this Christmas, might there be some blessing, some joy that we need to open our heart to and, and put aside the doubt and believe in all of what Christ has for us. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I am first in line, God. <laughs> 
to doubt you. I am like, I am like the father whose son was tormented by the demon whom you rescued. And, and he said, I believe, help me with my unbelief. God, we believe. Help us with our unbelief, God. Help us to open the eyes of our heart to see the promise of joy that we have in Christ this Christmas. Father, help us to, to look for humbly what you might do through us, around us, with the people, for the people that we interact with, God, that would bring us all joy. Father, I look forward to, to celebrating with you right the, now in this moment. Lord, I look forward to celebrating with you on Christmas Day, all the blessings and joys that you have provided for us. God, I look forward to rejoicing and, and just rip bursting with joy on that last day when you call us home. That great Christmas celebration where we meet you in the sky and we enter into your eternal kingdom where we live forever in perfect health and perfect blessing and peace and joy. God, where we can learn even more the depths of who you are. God, things we have could never imagine. Open our minds, God. Open our hearts to the depth of your joy this Christmas. In your son's name, amen. Thanks for joining us in today's study. If you'd like to know more about us or where you can attend one of our services, you can find information online at www.ren.church. That's R-E-N dot church. Thanks for listening.